0: Thank you guys for taking the time on this valentine's day and i don't know who this is for but it is valentine's day not valentine's day not it is with a big ol n i've been correcting my daughter all week so happy valentine's day to you what the origins of valentine's day are is probably something economic probably something to make sure people are spending money. A friend of mine posted this morning that Stop and Shop was full of people buying flowers and to not come at him because he was one of them, praise the Lord. I'll tell you who wasn't one of them. I didn't buy anybody flowers today, but I do wanna take the opportunity to um, say a happy day of love to my wife who's watching from upstairs and I love you. And the sacrifice that you make for our church is incredible. Whenever I'm not able to be with you and helping you and with our daughters and especially the fact that we have a little one, you are so gracious and loving and forgiving and you're always there to serve. And so to all of you who have children as well, uh, whether you're married or single or looking or whatever it might be, I want you to know that you were loved on this day where we celebrate love and not a necessary holiday you are loved. You are loved. And if you need an embrace, you call on one of us and somebody will be there. It's the purpose of family. And today, I don't have a Valentine's Day message. I I am sitting in what seems to be the chamber of a heart. Um, If it's kind of weird to you, apologies, pray about it, you'll get over it. But I decided to turn the room. If you notice, it changed a couple of times. This is live and in person. We just have lighting and we change the colors right in between. So I don't have a message today specifically about Valentine's Day or relationships. We took, we took enough time on Friday night, and if you missed it, it is on podcast, where we had our deeper conversation, the first one for 2021, and it was absolutely amazing. If you missed it, please go to the podcast and check it out. Subscribe, follow us every single time we share a message. It goes right up on that podcast it was an excellent time uh, and if you're in the chat right now can you just share if you loved it or if you hated it can you share that as well i got amazing feedback from people uh, some of you really surprised me with some of the things that you said i have to admit but I, i'm just grateful that you engaged and that we had a time together as family that was a little bit different than the usual uh, of sitting and having to listen to me so um, today's message is the closing sermon of our toolbox series, and we'll be talking about giving. Your most favorite thing about being a believer, giving. And it is a fairly sensitive topic with some folks. You either love it or you hate it. Some people are awesome at giving, and some are pretty terrible at it. Uh, we just gave out our yearly statements, the giving statements, you got it to your emails. You're either surprised that you gave so much, or maybe you might be embarrassed that you didn't give as much as you thought you did. But praise the Lord, it is an encouragement. That email only went to you. So however way you feel, use that as encouragement to keep up the good, good work. And so giving, giving is And I I should have given this, I could have given this to one of the other guys, but uh, I'm sure that they're glad that that wasn't the case. And I thought it was right, Marlon. I thought it was most appropriate that i be the one to share this with you, because if you've been around us long enough, me in particular, if you have received discipleship from me, you know that my approach to giving is a little different. Giving is essential. Giving is needed. It is necessary. Every time this camera turns on, every time we go to the church building, every time we meet in person or even digitally, it costs us money. And so your giving goes a long, long way. But today I want to talk about giving, not just about money. I want to talk about our heart. I want to talk about what it means to give. I need you to understand that And I'm not standing up here as a salesman, as you've heard me say before, I am a salesman by trade, nine to five, you can catch me closing deals with people, but I'm trying not to sell you an idea. So today we're gonna hit a lot of scripture because no one can sell it to you better than scripture itself. And so the reason for why I think giving is such a sensitive topic is because it's been so abused by people. It's been used to oppress others. Um, churches have abused this traditionally in the past for many decades, many generations, using power and influence among the people into teaching them erroneously about giving, teaching them the wrong way and the wrong things about giving. So today I feel full freedom to share with you about this topic though, full freedom. I am a, what's called a bivocational pastor, 0% of your giving comes to my salary. And we need to, in this season, praise the Lord. I am not against a pastor making a salary as a a pastor, but at the gathering in this season, no one receives a salary, 100% of the work. And I wanna thank the ladies. Today we have an all-female crew here um, working for this Sunday stream. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you so much. What a day on Valentine's Day. that uh, that, that our guys would just disappear because of Valentine's Day. I feel you. I understand it's Valentine's Day. You can get out. No problem. Um, But I want to thank our team today. And so I feel total freedom to share in this topic with you today because Even if one day we do have people who are on staff, and that is my hope, I would love to be able to provide work for people and continue doing missional work from nine to five into the weekend, late into the evenings. I look forward to that, but I feel full freedom, not just because of the salary stuff or not just because it goes to help somebody pay some bills, but I feel full freedom because I truly believe that what we're going to share today comes from a place of health. I believe that it's necessary that as we build our toolbox over the last five weeks, that we're also building healthy habits. And part of that is our giving. I don't suppose that everybody will agree with me today. If there are, I do encourage you, just as our one-minute video said, grab your pen, grab your Bible, grab a piece of paper. But today, I'm going to give you some tangibles for what Christian and biblical giving looks like. So you may not agree. If you don't agree, I invite you to write down whatever you don't agree with. And let's talk about it. Shoot me an email, um, send send me a text, call me later. I will be home all night. Um, we have some of the ladies who are going out to a dinner. So I will be home alone for Valentine's Day, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm sure they're gonna give me leave me some tasks, maybe some sweeping and mopping, but it's okay. It's my gift for Valentine's Day. And I I, I want to engage with you in the event that you, don't agree, but if you do agree, put this stuff into practice, and even if you don't, try it out. Um, please know that in your flesh, you may be tempted to say, Oh gosh, here we go again with the money. Who felt that? Maybe you're new, maybe you're new, and so the things that you've learned about church is like, Well, always asking for money, and here we go again. Now, Isaac's gonna do 30 minutes of talking about money. We'll see. I promise you I'll move as fast as possible. But if that's what you're thinking right now, I can assure you that that is the wrong place to start. Be graceful and give the Lord a chance. Give him a chance to speak to your heart this afternoon and teach you what he desires in our giving. And you'll understand that this has much, much less to do with money and much more to do with your heart. And it's Valentine's Day, so let's talk about the heart. And when we talk about giving, let's remember that giving is of time, is of talent, and is of course of your treasures. Dave Ramsey, anybody know Dave Ramsey? I know some of you are becoming slowly Dave Ramsey freaks. So as I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't speak about Dave Ramsey um, in in a giving. Context And so he's a famous, if you don't know him, he's a famous finan- financial counselor. And he shared five thoughts on five simple steps for creating wealth. And so if you have your pen, again, I want you to write these down. I'm going to give you five things to create wealth today. If you're that, if you logged in today just to hear about money and how God can make you rich and everything you need is within you, I'm going to give you the, right up front, I'm going to give you five things you can do to become wealthy right now. And if you know me, you know, I hate that stuff. But check this out. The first tip that Dave Ramsey gives to creating wealth, five simple steps for creating wealth. Tip number one, have a budget. Have a plan. In scripture, there's an anecdote about the builder who builds a building and halfway through his construction, through his edifice, he runs out of money. And so what happens then? He can't complete the remainder of his building, of his project. So what is that? Tip number one, have a plan, have a budget. Tip number two, focus on getting out of debt. I know that some people say there's good debt, there's bad debt, but debt, guess what? Is debt. That means you owe somebody money. So focus, keyword, focus on getting out of debt. That was tip number two. Now, tip number three, live on less than you make. Can you imagine that? Live on less than you make. You got $10 this week for working your job. Find a way to live on $7, on $6, on $8 if you can. And what do you do? After you've spent what you needed to spend we move on to tip number four save the remainder save money you can't become wealthy if you don't have money in the bank you can't become wealthy if you don't have money saved so those extra two dollars three dollars four dollars save them i don't know about you but not having grown up with a lot a lot of money it always felt like whenever i had a little bit left over from my check it was to have a good time right So that means I could get that, you know, the fried rice, $3 extra. I have it this week. Let's go. You know, like, I don't know why people charge more for fried rice. I did that last night. It killed me. But learn in creating wealth. These are sacrifices that we need to make even from ourselves in order to what? To build our wealth. This is church. We're talking about tangibles. All of this stuff that Dave Ramsey says, there's things I don't agree with, but this is stuff that I can totally subscribe to. Building wealth, get out of your debt, save your money. Don't spend everything that you make, even if it hurts you. It's about sacrifice for your own future. And then number five, which was unexpected to me when I watched this clip that Dave Ramsey shared, number five is this. The last simple step for creating wealth is to give generously. This is where you know that Dave Ramsey grew up in church. This is where you know that Dave Ramsey and the millions of dollars that he probably has stem from his knowledge of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. Because in, in, within the five major steps that, that this professional financial counselor known around the world and for generations gives is the most crucial one, which is give generously. Which we can't do if we don't have money in the bank, right? We might be wrong. Let's look at this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I don't usually read an entire chapter, but we're going to do that today. So if you're the type of person that doesn't like reading the Bible, this is your favorite place today. We're going to read the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'll get us rolling in the reading. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm sure if you can't find it, somebody will be adding it in the chat right now. And it says, now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. This is the Apostle Paul writing, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, And your zeal has stirred up most of them. This was a zeal, a desire to give. Verse three says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Let me just stop there for a moment before we keep reading. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians, and he's saying... I've known you to be an extremely giving um, congregation, a church family. This is a church. This is as if Paul is speaking to the gathering. I know you to be a generous family. I'm going to go with some Macedonians later. But just in case you forgot that you promised to be giving and that you promised to be generous, I'm writing you this letter with some of my men just so that you prepare yourself. Saving money in your own life, friends, is about preparedness. It's about being prepared for when the need arises. And Paul is telling them, I don't want you to be humiliated. And I certainly don't want to be humiliated because I've been boasting about you, about how awesome a giving people you are. Let's go to verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What does this tell us? This is a reminder that Jesus is our model for our giving because look at how he gave. Let me go back to that portion of verse nine. As it is written, he's talking about Jesus. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, but let me take it a step further because when we hear poor, we think of beggar. We think of somebody on the street. I don't know if anybody's ever been to France. I hope you get to go one day to Paris. There's a street called the Champs-Élysées. And on the Champs-Élysées is the essence of all shopping that is known to all the world. But the thing that stands out the most about the Champs-Élysées is that when you walk it, there are beggars almost in front of every store. I'll share a picture on our Instagram later for you to understand what I'm talking about. Most of them are there just for show because they make more money than I do. That is, their, that is their business. And they get dropped off in vans and picked up later. Nothing's wrong with them. Their business is for begging. When Paul is talking about giving to the poor, he's talking, though, about you and I. When we were broken and had nothing, when we were poor in spirit, when we had no access to salvation, that is when Jesus did what he gave freely. But how did he give? He didn't give from what was left over to him. He gave every breath of his life for us. I need that to affect you. And I say that often because that is literally why we follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice that he made. And then after three days rose, he is not dead. He is alive. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, this is verse 10, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What I'm seeing here is he and he and he and he he will. This means he makes the seed. He gives the seed. He waters the seed. He multiplies the seed. And so when he provides for us these seeds and we're selfish with it, it's almost as if we're stealing from him because whether we give it to him or not, it's his. Let's go to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We read the entire chapter. If you've never read an entire chapter of the Bible, congratulations, you just did it. And I invite you also to read chapter 8 of Second Corinthians because it's another chapter that the Apostle Paul shares with us in regards to giving. Friends, I need you to understand that giving is important. If every time you log on and when we ask you to participate and to become a partner with the gathering, if it hurts you when you press that send or done button on Zelle or Cash App or whichever way, think about how many times you've paid $100 to eat bad food. And it didn't hurt you not one bit. But when it's time for you to pull out five bucks to give to the ministry, Oh, man, how that burns us. We got to think about it three or four times. And I also do want to preface this, that as the shepherd of this house, as a pastor of this house, I am not only speaking to the people who are new and just learning about Jesus. I'm talking to you who are a leader and struggle with your giving. This is a message of encouragement as well as it is a message of correction. We need to do better. And even if we're giving a lot right now, then perhaps I'm asking and speaking to your heart that your heart be better postured because you can bring $1,000 to this house. But if your life is not living correctly and if your heart is not correct and you give thinking that something will be given unto you, I want to assure you that you've just wasted money. We'll take it because the Lord will be glorified all the time. But I do want to advise you to reconsider. You may not hear other people say that. But we care much less about your money and much more about your heart. And that is imperative for you to understand. You giving money is not going to buy you salvation. Jesus did that with his blood, with his blood already. And that's all we needed. So I'd like to kind of bring up some common misconceptions about Christian giving. One of them is the church only cares about your money. Right. So I heard people say as a pastor, like, oh, my God, like, you know, you know what I've heard often about churches and like it's just like a money thing. You go in and the first thing they they hand out is a basket or they tell you, you know, give this or give that. And they just want your money. So a common mis- misconception about Christian giving. This is absolutely false. Not to say that there aren't those who abuse power and call themselves Christians, but Christian giving is not about money. Oh, hold on. Christian giving, listen, is not about money. It's not about money. It includes money, but it's not about the money. Number two, another misconception that we hear often about Christian giving, your money is attached to your blessing. This could not be further from the truth. Under no circumstance is your blessing sold to you for money. Listen to me. Take your pens out. Under no circumstance is your blessing sold to you. None. Stop paying people to receive a blessing or to receive a prophecy. Hell is waiting, waiting anxiously for those who swindle in the name of the Lord for personal gain. Whenever you wake up and you can't go to sleep or you wake up early and you go on channel three or channel four and in the middle of the night and you see that people are selling prayer cloths for $180 for you to receive your miracle, friends, don't waste your money. That is garbage. That is garbage. That is the work of the enemy. I am telling you this now. I am willing to stake everything I have to tell you that that is a lie. If you've ever been to a church where they invited a prophet this and prophet that, and he said, right now, your $1,000 seed will release. That's a lie. That is garbage. It's garbage. It is garbage. There is no price to the blessing of the Lord. There is no price a financial, a number price to a prophecy from the Lord. There's certainly a price of sacrifice. There's certainly a price of obedience, but there isn't a dollar price to your blessing. So if you're considering or somebody's trying to sell you holy water from the, don't don't buy it. I don't care what it is. Just don't buy it. From Israel and the holy water and the bottle of salt. Don't buy it. I don't need salt. I have salt at home. Don't buy it. Yeah. And yes, it makes me upset. It makes me upset. I've been surrounded my whole life by people who fall for those things and $500 seeds and hundred dollars seeds. Are those seeds? Absolutely. Should they go into proper soil? Absolutely. They should, but you shouldn't do it simply with the expectation, the expectation of a blessing or, or a prophecy. And I think when I read through this, I'm thinking about when Nikki the other day, um, I believe it was Nikki or either Matt, when we were talking about the flipping of tables in the the temple. And the flipping of tables, remember, Jesus comes into the temple and he gets upset that they're basically doing market, free market inside of the temple. And what does he remind them of? He reminds them that they're in the house of the father, the house of prayer. And this is the same thing that we do when it comes to churches using giving to oppress others. And telling them that they can sell them their prophecy or sell them their blessing. It's the same thing. It's worth Jesus flipping tables. You're a better, and another misconception is that you're a better Christian if you stick to percentages. I know people aren't going to like that. And if you're watching on Facebook and you agree with it, hey, That's all on you. I'm not saying that it's something bad. I'm not saying that the 10% model is something that you should go and get correction for. No, I am not saying that. What I am saying is that this is much greater than percentages. Because you know what's a percentage? A tax. And the tax bracket that my wife and I are a part of that hurts us every single year as it does you, that's a percentage. Even Dave Ramsey teaches about the importance of percentage giving. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I am saying that it is more than percentages. Our ability and willingness to give is a litmus test for our capacity to love. Our ability and willingness to give is a litmus test for our capacity to love. If 10 percent of your salary requires you no sacrifice, requires no effort from you, what have we truly accomplished? If you look back into scripture historically, the tithe, although in Hebrew it means 10%, it meant much, much more. It was closer to 28 and 30 or 25%, much more than what we're used to giving traditionally. The point here is not about specific numbers or specific percentages, is about the measure of your love. It's about the sacrifice that you're willing to submit before the Father. But what are we learning from Paul in this second letter to the Corinthians? He is speaking to a church, to a church family of believers regarding giving and their financial preparedness. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. There are major lessons that Paul is teaching us here, and they apply to us today. The first is you reap what you sow. We see this in verse six, where Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you give little, this is what that says, right? If you give little, expect little, don't expect much from the little that you give. If you, if you give much, you should expect much. This is not about transaction, though. This is about love and commitment, right? Because some people think they might be able to approach God and try to hustle him and say, hey, listen, well, I need $1,000, so I'm going to give you $100 so that, you know, he's not a banker. He's not a banker because you can give him $100, but if your heart is in posture to give any of that $100, he's received nothing. It wouldn't work to try and hustle God into giving you more because what matters really is your heart, friends, is your heart. Luke chapter six, verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, listen, for the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Some people call that karma. I call it scripture. I'm not very karmic. Um, It's in our Bibles. Anyone to, you know, you notice like people like make up stuff and call it Confucian, this and it's just Bible that people are making into nonsense. Is anybody taken back yet? And anybody offended yet? It's okay. We'll keep moving. This is the Apostle Luke teaching us that. We will be measured in the same manner that we measure. If you want the radical from God, then you've got to give the radical from God. If you want the outrageous from God towards your life, then guess what? You've got to give outrageously. We should always give joyfully, never under just obligation or compulsion, but with love. And Paul talks about this in verse seven. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we're giving with joy or simply doing it because we have to, that isn't a sacrifice received by the Lord. Listen to me. If you're not doing it with love, He is not accepting it. The point is to give as a demonstration, as a measure of your love. This is you displaying how much love you have towards God and what he's doing. When you give to this house, friends. You show us that you love what's happening, that you agree with what's happening. You're telling God, Lord, this is a field where I'm willing to lay the seeds that you've given me down. It is worthy, worthy soil for us to plant in. He doesn't want these things, though, if they don't come from a place of love, because check this out. Who wants reluctant love? I'm in a house full of women right now. Anybody here want reluctant love? I woke up this morning. I wake up this morning. This is a scenario. This did not happen. I did not get my wife what I'm about to show you, but I, um, somebody else gave it to her. Could you imagine just like somebody, you living with somebody, your husband, or you going and visiting somebody that you're dating and today is Valentine's day. So many expectations and the, the chocolate covered this or the flowers or the, whatever it might be, and you show up and here I am going up to my wife and. Say, hey, babe, listen, I know today's Valentine's Day. Um, I know you usually expect stuff. Um, I got you this box of hearts. It's got this crazy lace on top. So, you know, I paid like $5 extra for it. Um, it's whatever, like here, just, you know, take it. Yeah, like, cool. All right, cool. Like good old church hug and let's move forward. Like who wants that? That's whack. Who wants that kind of reluctant love? So if you don't want that from somebody, if you who are single are wanting for a man or a woman to approach you and just desire you, to show passion for you, to show you that, hey, I don't have anything for you, but quality time is sufficient for me. I just wanted to run here on my bicycle and just show you that I just wanted to be close to you. That's worth so much more to us than if they bought us a flight on a private jet. It would be to me. So why would it be different for the father when we're looking to give sacrificially? Friends, whenever you give your money, whenever you give your time in volunteering, whenever you serve somebody, don't do it just for other people to applaud you. Well, I got you a box of chocolates because I, it's Valentine's Day. I, I did not want you to say that I didn't, got you, I didn't get you anything. So then we're doing it out of obligation. We're not doing it because we love the other person. I'm not doing it because I love my wife. I just don't want her to throw it back in my face in a week. But do we not do the same with our giving? Well, oh man, I haven't given in three months. I should probably give 20 bucks because I don't want the pastor to say that, oh, no, don't worry about me. Your giving should be done in secret. And if you're doing that just so you can tell the next person that you gave $100 or you gave a dollar or you gave 25 cents, you know what? Don't give it. If that's the posture of your heart, don't do yourself the disservice and don't curse yourself. By giving erroneously and giving out of joy to the Lord. And then just because we don't have much, that doesn't mean we can't give much. Many of you have had conversations with me in regards to giving, and I've told you that it's not about money. It's not even about the value of what you're giving. Because if I know that you don't have just in our interaction, but you confidently and without hesitation give on every occasion that you can give, that's worth gold because that's commitment. So you may be one who says, how can I give to God if I don't have enough for me? That may be you, right? Is that fair? How how do you expect me to give to God if I'm broke? Where where do you expect me to pull that from? I can barely pay my own bills. bills. You want me to pay the the church's bills? How does that make sense? If that's you, I want to share with you quickly a story in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings, there's a story of a widow that meets the prophet Elijah, who we've been talking about a lot. Elijah has prophesied to Israel that there is a severe drought that's coming into their land and he meets a widow when he's resting and he's sitting and he asks her to bring him water. And then he asks, for, asks her for some bread. And she tells him that she doesn't have bread and that she only has a little bit of flour and a little bit of olive oil to go back home to her son so that they can have a little bit to eat. Think about this. This woman has a little bit of flour. She's a widow. She doesn't have a provider. This is not 2021. She doesn't have a provider for her household. There's this old man asking her for food and drink. And the only thing she has is enough flour and enough olive oil left for what? For one more meal. She doesn't know what's coming after that one meal. And what does Elijah tell her to do? Maybe, let me stop for a second. Maybe that's been you. I don't know. I've gone without in my life. When I was in college, I remember actually, My use my wife as an example. When she was in college, she tells me that the only money that she had was enough to get one bag of chips to eat for the day or for the meal. That's heartbreaking. So imagine an old man, a prophet of the Lord, a real prophet of the Lord approaches my wife as she's about to go to town on her Cheetos and says, I need that bag of Cheetos. Just like he did with this widow. He says, give me the bread sounds a little selfish no that he would eat but listen to what he says in first kings chapter 18 verse 14 read it with me in the chat it says for this is what the lord the god of israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the lord sends rain on the land Learn to trust God in the little so that he may give you a lot, friends. This widow was obedient and gave him that bread. And the story in First Kings chapter 18 says that her flour never ran dry, that her olive oil never ran dry. Because what? Because she believed. She believed in the words of this prophet. She believed that what he said—that God would provide for her—he would provide for her. That, and then he did provide this for her. Remember the story that we shared during the worship um, sermon that we shared in the Toolbox series, when the same prophet believed that God could consume with fire the sacrifice that had been laid on this altar. Today, family, I'm inviting you to lay your bull at this altar, and there's something about sacrifices. With sacrifices, they wouldn't choose the skinniest chicken. They wouldn't choose the sick sheep and the skinniest cow that they had available. The one, well, we can't kill the fat cow. The fat cow would feed too many people. You gotta kill the skinny one that's sick. Wrong. It had to be the fluffiest, the fattest, the greasiest, the best that was presented to the altar. Why? It was because it was going to the God. It was going to God or even those who were pagans talking about the sacrifices of the fattest lambs that they would present because it went to the God's lowercase g. They gave nothing so much. How much more are we supposed to give the king of kings and the Lord of lords? But instead, when we know we have so much, we give to him so little. When you know you have so much time, you give him one hour a week. And you show up late. When we have so much to eat and we know there's people around us that don't have any groceries and we go to town and say, hey, listen, would you like a little bit of the leftovers that I have? Feed people from the abundance that you've got and not just from your leftovers. The same thing goes before the father. Don't feed him from your leftovers. He's worth so much more. Imagine that he gave you life out of what he had left over we wouldn't be here. You want the key to being wealth today, family? Be a radical giver. Be an outrageous giver. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Your giving also gives. Your giving provides the needs that others in this house are going through. This is about the gathering. Your giving helps other people. Your giving keeps on giving. We see this in the book of Acts when they are called to all come in and live communally. Your giving also brings thankfulness to the hearts of those who are without it, to the hearts of those who have received We helped families all through 2020 to be able to buy food for their children, to be able to buy clothing if they needed, to be able to pay their bills if they did not have. If they found themselves in a medical emergency, we were there to help. And we did that. Why? Because of your faithfulness and because of your giving. And in verse 11 and 12, in verse he says, verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the approval of his service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Your giving continues giving. It gives, gives to other people in need and it brings other people into thankfulness and ultimately into thanksgiving to the God Almighty like a toolbox at home. It takes a while to have all those little tools that you may someday need. And I brought brought my toolbox today. It's a small little toolbox, but you know how many years it's taken me to fill this toolbox with tools? Ideally, my dad would have been like, hey, son, I have this old toolbox here. My dad doesn't do much with tools. He's got a lot of them but he didn't do that. So it's taken me years to build this toolbox. And it's taken us five weeks to build our own spiritual toolbox. But my question is this. When something in your life needs fixing, are you ready to use your toolbox? Or will you expect somebody else to come and fix it? That's the difference between the spiritual and the natural because I can call a plumber to come and fix my leak, but I can't call somebody from some other family to come and fix my house or to fix my family or to fix my heart. Does your heart need fixing today? I want to congratulate you because your toolbox is now full. And It is completely up to you to use every tool that we've put in there. Are you the kind of person that hears the drip in the bathroom and ignores it for a year? Because that means if there's a drip in your heart, if there's something that needs healing, that you have intended to, and it keeps bleeding out, it's time to pull out our toolbox. And it's time to get to work. Five weeks of tools. You now have information on fasting. You have prayer. You have worship you have service, and you have giving. There's many, many, many other tools that we have, but these are five major tools that you have in your toolbox right now, right now. And I invite you to use every single one of them. The beauty of a spiritual toolbox is that we don't have to use these toolboxes only when something's wrong and only when something's broken. We're welcome to use these tools to maintain to keep from breaking. That's the difference. We don't want to wait to be broken. You want to maintain in the presence of the Lord through prayer, through fasting, through worship, through service, through giving, that we might avoid the breakage altogether.